This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN 1290.ca. Do you expect him to arrive in Winnipeg before a deal is worked out? Well, I asked Connor that today. So Kyle spends his offseason back home in Michigan, and I had asked him whether he had given any thought to coming to Winnipeg and skating here, even if he didn't have a contract when training camp rolled around in September. And he said that's not something that he's really thought about yet. September is tomorrow. There's no contracts for Line A and Connor. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show is back. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning at tsn1290.ca and via the iHeartRadio app, we say good morning, universe, and welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Alongside Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your Felt host. Felt like we never left. Yeah, it's been a quick four weeks, you know, the summer hiatus. My Ezzy free August is ending one day too soon. And then when I looked at the calendar and I said, ah, oh, you mean I have to come back in August and spend quality time with Ezzy? I'm not so, I wasn't so keen on that, but now now that we're in studio together, Mr. Grinsberg, it is nice to see you after really not really speaking to you very much in the last four weeks or so. Yeah, just because we didn't have the show for four weeks didn't mean that we couldn't, you know, oh, I blocked your number. Go, go for a walk. No, I blocked your number. Go see a movie. <laughs> I had nothing to do with you. I blocked your number 100%. You were nowhere, you were nowhere to be found in my world. Yeah, and I accept that. I mean, the yeah. amount of time that we spend together doing lot. the show, going to Jets games, yeah. you know, going out after Jets games, you know, walking our children, our respective children, you know, going for walks with our children, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. One month out of twelve, I-, I can handle that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I know that August. you guys were out at the lake, and you yeah. guys were out of town. We so. were traveling a little yeah. bit. We were out at the lake. I had a baby. You had a baby. You know, a second baby. You know, congratulations uh, on that. Of course, uh, yeah, little, milestone. Little, little Ruben. Yes, this is his first opportunity to listen to the show. Yeah, he is listening right now. Okay, I can only assume he's yeah. he's crying right now. Uh, you listening to this? You no, know, it's amazing. You have two kids, so you know this. But yeah. you know, my daughter is you know. You know, right around 16 months. She's 15, just over 15 months. And you forget how much they sleep when they're this age. My son's two weeks old. Yeah. And he's basically sleeping like, I don't know, 20 hours a day. Yeah. Which is only the only people person beating that is you. You're sleeping 22 <laughs> right. hours a day. No, I'm sleeping more like you know, <laughs> 12 five, minutes five. a day. Yeah. But that's, yeah. uh, well, anyways, congratulations on, on the new addition of Ruben to the, to the, uh, Ginsburg Pfeffer household. Yeah. I appreciate that. Everybody's doing really well. I wish my wife was getting uh, more sleep because Naomi's not getting a lot of sleep right now. But you know, it'll come. You know, once you get, I think, past, you know, kind of like four weeks, yeah. it starts to get a little bit better. But, you know, everybody's doing well. Our household, I got to tell you, though, is really Chaos. crazy now on Saturdays. <laughs> like, I, I can relate to you, Drew, because yeah. we always gave you a hard time, right? But, I mean, now Saturday mornings, it's like you got two kids crying, right? Not yeah. just one. So, um, you know, needless to say, I don't need to set my, you know, phone alarm to, <laughs> you know, seven o'clock or anything yeah. like that because I'm up at six o'clock now. So exactly. Anyways, there you go. Congratulations to you, Ezzy, on, on that new addition. And let's get started talking, of course, about the Winnipeg Jets. It has been a, a very quiet August. Very, it, it not only has it been quiet for the Jets, it's been quiet, like, did you, I don't think it was lost on some people, some hockey people, that the announcement that the NHL wasn't going to opt out of the CBA happened probably during the quietest week of the year, right? Yeah. Like, there has been no hockey news at all for probably, what, two weeks now? If it wasn't for the Minnesota Wild firing Paul Fenton sort of out of the blue, right. which happened you know earlier right. in August, yep. uh, and we'll talk about that through the course of, of the two hours this morning, it would have been you know absolutely silent. And that's usually what happens. In August, you know, right after the last sort of arbitration uh, hearing occurs, yep. the hockey world just shuts down. Yep. Everybody goes to the lake, and the general managers just they stop negotiating with their RFAs. I, I don't get any, uh, I don't get any sense 
that there's concern among the various GMs that have these restricted free agents without contracts that they're concerned about it yet. I don't think their level of concern begins until after Labor Day. After Labor Day, which of course is Monday, is when I think they will really again start working. Yeah, and you could even argue, Drew, I agree with you, you could even argue that the start of training camp well, is really kind of the first soft deadline, right? Because yeah. we talked about it when we were last on air in in late July that we didn't expect, and and not not just us. I mean, you know, Bob the, the, the Bob Father it. tweeted yeah. that out that he said like none of these big RFAs are going to sign, and not only have none of the big RFAs signed, like so you're talking about Lion A, Connor, Marner, Ranton, and Point, all these guys, we all know the names, yeah, but. Even some of the lesser-known RFAs, like we're talking a guy like Ivan Barbashev on the St. Louis Blues, right? He was yeah. a productive guy. Charlie McAvoy on the Bruins. Charlie McAvoy. I, uh, Ivan Provorov on the Flyers. Sort of the the uh, the a lot of defensemen. Second are, second tier guys. Yeah, right. I mean productive players, important players for all these teams. Guys, that, guys that are still going to make you know four million, five million dollars a year. So mm-hmm. not only have the big boys not signed, and everybody expect kind of you know Mitch Marner to be the first domino to fall. And I agree with that, but you're absolutely right, Drew. I don't think that most people expect any contracts to get signed next week. You know, let alone you know in in the month of August. So oh. I'm expecting well, you know a lot of these contracts to get done somewhere between the start of training camp and the start of the season. So that could be anywhere from you know September 30th to October 2nd, right? And and there's just no reason right now, I think, for players to sign because we know that the agents of these players are trying to get as much money for their clients as possible. And a lot of these contracts, you know, and, and especially here in Winnipeg, you've got two big RFAs. Mm-hmm. I mean, these contracts are are going to affect the next. You know, four, five, six years. I mean, we expect Lion A to probably sign a bridge deal, but when you're talking about Kyle Connor, I think you should expect a, a five-year deal. Well, Connor himself says that he's he you know when he was last spoken with, and this is going back you know a number of weeks. You know, he said that his you know hope or his intention was more of a longer-term deal. And to your point, everyone expects Lion A to be on a shorter-term deal. And, and you know, and there was a lot of. You know, consternation when Line made his comments when he was interviewed overseas in Finland. I think it was Chris Johnson uh, who interviewed him, and Line was, you know, lukewarm, let's say, about, about Winnipeg or lukewarm about his, his future with the Jets. And that's just all posturing. I, I don't believe that there's anything to be concerned about there. This is a player who, well, first of all, the Jets certainly own, uh, control his rights for the next four years at least. But this is a guy who's got no no contract, and he's got no reason to be effusive in his praise in the course of a negotiation. No, Patrick. So, Patrick and he's no pa- fool. No, and and to your, further to your point, Drew, Patrick Line is going to be the player that the Jets build their franchise around. Obviously, you know there are other players like yeah, Shifley, Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck and you know Wheeler, but and among others, I mean, you could throw in Josh Morrissey in there as well. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about Line, I mean, this is the second overall pick. This is a guy that you could pencil in for. I don't know, at least 40, 50 goals probably for the next 10 to 12 years. So when you're talking about Lion A, I agree. The comments over the summer, I mean, the reality is there's a, lo- a lot of time has passed during the summer. There was a lot of empty time, if you want to talk about that. Just a lot of time where nothing was happening. So, you know, I think you have almost too much time to think. And there are a lot of fans that I think saw those or heard those comments and they got a little bit nervous. But there's no reason to get nervous because it goes back to what we said before. We didn't expect any of these big RFAs, mm-hmm. including Connor and Lyonet, yeah. to, to sign prior to Labor Day. And, and most likely, we were expecting it to be closer to training camp. I strongly believe that a lot of these players 
are going to sign right around training camp, maybe even later in training camp. Well, you remember Josh Morrissey last year? He signed what two days after training camp right. opened? I think right. it was, and we were on air that Saturday when the the Jets had their fan fest, and that's coming up two weeks from today at Bell MTS Iceplex again. Tickets are available now, uh, free tickets, but you just have to print one out. Uh, but you know, I think you know he didn't. He wasn't there for sa- on the Saturday when training camp opened. I think he signed on the Monday or the Tuesday, and that's usually how it goes. They wait for the first sort of quote-unquote artificial deadline. Right. And there's only a real problem, I would suggest, if you get to the start of the regular season and you don't have something done. And then, you know, once the regular season starts and once you start missing regular season games, you might end up in a scenario like the Leafs had with William Nylander last year. Well, and, you know, it's interesting that you bring up Nylander because you got to think that Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, they don't want to go through that again. So if anybody thinks that Mitch Marner is the likeliest to, to be unsigned before the season starts. I, I would disagree with that. Oh, I don't know. I, I think that there is a significant... I, I think Marner and his camp have a have a, have put a value on themselves. A yep. dollar figure next to their name. Yep. And, well, right now it doesn't seem like there's any indication that they're going to budge off of that. And they're using you know, the potential of playing in Switzerland as leverage. I mean, that's the only leverage a player like that has is... You know, you threaten, quote unquote, to go play for another team overseas because you're not under contract and there's nothing preventing you from doing that. Sorry to interrupt, but I I actually think that his biggest leverage is that he was the highest scoring Leaf. Sure. And they need him. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, he's an an RFA, so he can't just go play for any other NHL team. So, that's not going to happen at this point. I mean, but yeah, I agree that. You know, he does have leverage in the sense that he can threaten to just not sign yeah. and maybe go play overseas in Europe. But I, this is just my personal opinion. And, and you know, I respect your opinion. I just don't know yeah, if Dubas wants to go through that again, because you could argue that William Nylander is vastly overpaid. I would. I, I think would. he's getting too much money. He didn't have a good season. Is he a talented player? Absolutely. But when you look at, you know, the, the Leafs and, you know, all the big contracts with Matthews and, and Tavares and all that, I think the Leafs would probably be fine without Nylander. Well, I, I would agree with you there. I think in hindsight that they probably they have some regrets over how that entire situation. Would you played rather out. use that money to sign Jake Gardner or or you know give Mitch Marner what he wants without having uh, yeah. without having a, an issue? Absolutely. But we're not talking about the Leafs. We're talking about the Jets. And Paul Maurice was interviewed by Tim Campbell of NHL.com earlier this week, and, and you know and Maurice you know knows what the scenario is, and he came out and said you know this is his quote: the pressure on both sides. C- kind of comes at the same time, that the closer you get to the season, the more pressure comes on the team and the player to get a contract signed. We'll see that mount, and we're hopeful they'll be signed by the time the puck drops. You want everybody at camp? Absolutely. But you really hope everybody's done by the time the season starts. Uh, you know, Paul Maurice has been around this game you know, for and knows way more about hockey than, than I do, and so he knows that there's nothing yet on August 31st to be worried about. You know, you get to the point where you get concerned if conversations aren't happening and uh, fruitful conversations aren't happening at the start of training camp and fruitful conversations aren't happening at the start of exhibition season. And, and, and we com- don't know that, by the way. We don't know how much conversation has taken place to date. I don't think that there's been much conversation over the last month because neither side at this point in time, and I don't know, you're right, but my, you know, reading the tea leaves... I don't think that there's been much conversation happening in the month of August. I agree with that. I think a lot of the conversation happened prior yeah. to the August long weekend. And I think both sides have a pretty good idea what the other side wants. Like, I don't think that, you know, Mike Liute for, for Patrick Lyon, his agent, I don't think, for example, that Mike Liute, 
is going to come back after Labor Day and, you know, he's going to request something, you know, completely out of this world that, you know, that completely shocks Chevy, you know, like we, we both sides are probably I'm going to I'm going to spitball here, but I would say both sides are probably within three million dollars of each other in terms of their offers. Yeah, it could be less. It could be less. Yeah. And so what it could be more. Well, I mean, it could be. But I mean, I don't think either side is 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 that you know, delusional with regard to their offer. I don't think the Jets are lowballing line A at three and a half million a season. I don't think Leute's asking for fifteen million a season. By the way, can we agree that Kyle Connor is going to get done first? I mean, it makes so much more sense for Kyle Connor to get done, in my opinion, because I think you look at Kyle Connor and you look at his trajectory, right? Like mm-hmm. he didn't come into the NHL at 18 years old like Lion A, but you look at how he played that full year with the Moose, and then you know he had to go back to the Moose for a little bit and. You know, he's been so effective on that top line, and we know that Paul Maurice might end up breaking up that top line, and, and you might have Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler on a couple of different lines. But for me, Kyle Connor is like five years, you know, six and a half million, seven million. I, I tend to agree that I think Connor will get done first. And I don't know that, you know, with all the, the litany of the RFAs throughout the league, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that I agree with the concept that one guy is going to free up the logjam. And that's a say Connor signs two weeks from now. I don't know that Connor signing is all of a sudden going to be a catalyst for point signing and Rantanen signing and you know a lot of the other RFA signing. I'm not. Everybody thinks that they're just going to take one and then the dam is going to burst. Well, I'm not Mar- Marner about would that. be that guy because Marner is most likely going to get the most money, right? Well, you would think so because he's had the best performance of all the RFA's. Ky- yeah, currently. Kyle, Kyle Connor and Patrick Lyon, I don't think are going to be. That that quote unquote first domino to fall. Yeah, but I, I do think that there has to be that first kind of signing before that kind of d- dam breaks, right? Because when you're talking about these players, that's what's so interesting about this summer. All of these players are are very different. I mean, they're they're similar draft years, right? You're mm-hmm. talking about you know 2015, 2016, right? Marner's 2015, Connor 2015, and then you've got Lion A 2016. But really, if you think about it, Austin Matthews was the first one, was the first un- quote-unquote domino to fall because he signed a five-year deal. Yeah. And what did he get? $11 million a year or whatever it was, $10 million a year. So when you're talking about Matthews, I think a lot of those players are looking at Matthews and they're saying, okay, well, he signed a five-year deal. So that means that after that contract's over, he's going to be able to negotiate another one. Why do I need to sign an eight-year deal? Well, it changed the landscape. I right. mean, and, and absolutely. And I think you know Matthews and his and, and his representation and the Leafs, they all came to an agreement and said, okay, yeah, we'll you know sign a five-year deal. You'll get your money, and then you'll get paid again when you're you know. 25 years old, 26 years old, another huge contract. And that makes more sense than signing away eight years right. like, like a guy like Shifley did when he signed right. his extension. And that's why I don't see – I'm not going to say that none of these players will sign an eight-year deal, but I would be shocked be if, if more than one or two. Like, So you can throw in Braden Point. We talked about Miko Rantanen. Um, you know, Brock Besser, I think, is a candidate for a shorter-term deal. You know, He's a guy that didn't have arbitration rights. So any of these big RFAs, Marner, Carner, Lyon I would be shocked if more than one or two of them signed for longer. So, you know, eight years, most likely. I don't know why you would sign for six or seven. Mm -hmm. It's basically five or eight. So I just, I think Austin Matthews contract was, if you want to call it a, uh, you know, a pace setter. Mm -hmm. It was one of those contracts that I think all of these other agents looked at and they said, okay, when my client is up after his ELC is over, we're going to try to use that as, you know, a comparable. A new guideline right. for how to do a long-term deal as opposed to doing an eight-year right. deal. So you I know, don't I don't think, by the way, that, you know, Patrick Lyon and, and Austin Matthews are, 
a, a great comparable. No, they're not, of course, anymore. I mean, because, Matthews has outpaced yeah. Patrick Laine. But just because they went, uh, you know... They went 1-2. One, 1-2, two. One, two, they're always going to be compared. So yeah. I do think that the majority of these players are going to sign bridge deals or five-year deals. I agree with that. But, I mean, I go back to, you know, the beginning of July when Bob McKenzie was sort of doing his, you know, sign-off when he was heading on vacation, they call the insiders do. And he said, you know, when I come back after Labor Day, because everything, you know, sort of restarts after Labor Day, he expects that all of these... RFAs are still going to be RFAs, and that's clearly the way it appears it's going to be with with Labor Day being on Monday. And it's only after Monday that I think the conversations will begin to ramp up. And the first quote unquote deadline, the first you know uh, artificial deadline, is training camp, which is two weeks away. So expect news to start to uh, pick up over the next couple of weeks. When we come back, the Jets made a depth signing in Gabrielle Bork earlier this week. We also talked about what they're going to do with Eric Comrie, the third of their three RFAs. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We are live on TSN Radio 1290. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN 1290.ca. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the roster right now is a little short, so it's a good spot for me. And, uh... For me, it was a big deal to, uh, as a two-way play in uh, Winnipeg for uh, my family. So the AHL and NHL in the same city. So that was a big part of uh, my decision, too. That was from earlier this week. Gabriel Bork appearing with Hustler and Rick on the afternoon ride, talking about his contract here with the Jets. It's a two-way deal, of course. Bork is finally going to play for the Jets. Phil? Ray? Gabriel? They didn't play for the Jets. I know. I'm trying to think. What other Borks are there besides Phil, Ray, and, and Gabriel? Well, Ray Bork has a kid. I don't know if he still plays in the AHL. I believe Ryan Bork? Name is that his kid's name? Sounds, sounds familiar. Well, there's Rene Bork. Yeah, thank you there. That's a good point yeah. as well. Former yeah. Calgary Flame, former Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, there yep. is. Anyways, but Gabrie- the Jets 1.0 or 2.0 have never had a Bork. Probably not. So yeah. there you go. Now so they, they got one now. Now they have a Bork. It's very yeah. good. This segment of the program brought to you by our good friends at Bernstein's Deli. As anybody in this uh, ever listens to this program knows, our number one priority is food. And the, the good people at Bernstein's have dropped off to us their feature burger of the week. This thing is delicious. Ezzy is schnarfling his like nobody's business. This is really good. It is a Utah pastrami burger, six ounces of a beef patty, Three ounces of Smith's pastrami, because you need meat on top of meat. Swiss cheese, fry sauce, lettuce, all held together by a Martin's potato roll, which is the same bun used at our, by our friends at Shake Shack. So get this at Bernstein's. It's only available for an exclusive time this week. So get there now. Bernstein's Deli, the corner of Cordon and Lanark in the Cordon Village Mall. It's the Utah pastrami burger. Okay, so we've been doing this, I think, for five years now, right? Like we, like that. We try the burger every every year. Yeah. And this one, I say this every year, but you this one this really anymore. might be the best one. It, okay, so you know the bun that you talked about? Yeah, Shake Shack bun. And and I know you've been to a Shake Shack or two, Drew. And more, and more than once, yes. The Shake Shack bun is unbelievable, yeah. but the combination of that beef patty yeah. and the pastrami, yeah. and then you know that I love my Bothwell cheese. I do know that you love your Bothwell cheese. And then that fry sauce. Yeah. I mean, oh. It's a good burger. There's it's really only, good. There's only 700 of them. 
I so love, better, by the way, and, how... And Ezzy has already pre-purchased 350 <laughs> of them. So you better get there quickly. That's at Bernstein's Deli in the Cordon Village Mall. Get there quickly this week for their Utah pastrami burger. What about producer Sean Asor? By the way, Shawnee, nice to see you again. But when you're talking about, you know, us devouring these burgers, Sean was done that burger before the show even started. I, I salute his I salute his enthusiasm is what I do in, the, in that case. During the commercial break, I said, I think I'm, I can't wait till, you know, the second. We were talking about maybe doing the, the burger review the second half of the show and then i said to sean maybe we'll just eat the burger in the second segment and sean looks at me and he's like oh i already ate it (laughs) didn't waste any time you know time is time is fleeting sean ate that burger nice and quickly anyways as what do you think about the signing of bork i mean the jets have done you know a lot this offseason with these sort of two-way low risk more or less low impact signings. So there's going to be a lot of competition at training camp, probably for that 12th and 13th forward spot. Right. And that's what Gabe Bork is, right? Like Gabriel Mm -hmm. Bork is a guy that's most likely going to be a bottom six forward, right? He's probably going to play on the fourth line for the Jets. And he's also an option for head coach Pascal Vincent and the Moose, right? And, and, you know, the Gabriel, Moose might be really good this year, actually. Well, no, the, the Moose are going to be good. And yeah. I really like that Mark Latestu signing. And Latestu is another guy that we expect to play full time for the Moose, but he's also a guy that can play a little bit for the Jets well, if you, they need you to. You look at the guys that the Jets have signed this offseason to, to compete for those bottom roles. Andre Chibisov, yep. you know, comes over from Russia. Uh, Yuna Luoto, yep. don't know much about him. He's obviously signed as well. Well, you with ha- the exception of seeing these guys skate at Dev, Dev Camp. Yeah. I mean, know. we don't know a lot. I mean, Yuna Luoto looks like a, I mean, he can be a really good player. Chibisov, I know absolutely nothing about it except for where he played, you know, the last few years. But when you're talking about those guys, I mean, these are the guys that could end up playing on the fourth line, but most likely are going to play for the Moose. Well, you know, and that's the big question because, you know, most people, I think, entering this season thought the Jets are obviously going to have to skew younger. Guys like Veselainen, right. guys like Appleton, you know, obviously Ross Livick had more of a full-time role with the Jets. But these are the guys that people thought are going to fill out their roster. But the Jets aren't handing them the, the jobs. They're bringing in these veteran guys to help supplement them and, and to help maybe insulate the team a little bit. Remember a couple of years ago, the Jets really didn't do anything in terms of these you know depth signings. So they, they didn't sure. have any players that could insulate if a young player wasn't ready to step up. Now, I don't think that, that Mark Letestu should be a regular NHLer anymore. No. Uh, with and, and most likely he won't. I mean, if you have injuries, yeah. he's a guy that can step in. He's a veteran. I mean, he's had a great NHL career. We know how good he is in the dressing room, right? If you want to kind of compare it to the role that Matt Hendricks played in the Jets organization last year, we know that Latestu's on the back nine of his career, right? I'm not sure. saying this is going to be his last year, but we know that Latestu's a guy that most likely is going to play for the Moose. Let's just leave it at that, right? So when you're talking about you know some of these other guys, you know, going back to what you said about Mason Appleton and Christian Veselainen, I think absolutely. I mean, put me in the camp of, you know, Mason Appleton is ready for a full-time role in the NHL. He's earned it. I think he will play for the Jets for the majority of the season. When it comes to Christian Veselainen, I'm not as certain because when you talk about Veselainen, I mean, he's still young. He's only 20 years old, right? Yeah. But when you talk about Veselainen, by the way, I'm going to try not to get any burger on the microphone here. But That's everybody else who's going to be in studio after us appreciates that. When you talk about Veselainen... You, you have to ask the question, if Veselainen isn't going to play a top six or even top nine role, is he better suited to play on the first line or second line with the Moose and, and get those, you know, primary scoring opportunities? Because, you know, I think Appleton could easily slot in on the third line, fourth line, whatever. But 
Christian Veselainen is more of an offensive-minded player. He, you know, he's got an underrated defensive aspect to his game. But all I'm saying is, sure. you know, Veselainen, is he better off playing right. forty or fifty games at the AHL level where he's getting top line right. minutes? That's and all then, I'm saying. And then if he proves it to be, you know, too good, quote unquote, for the AHL level, and then is he ready to step into an NHL right. role at that Sim- point? Similar to Jack Roslovic, right? Sure. So or or Kyle Connor, even though Roslovic played more in the AHL. But when you're talking about you know, Veselainen, I think if Veselainen ends up playing more games in the American Hockey League, then the opportunity for Gabriel Bork is there because Bork is going to be a guy that he's a very good penalty killer. Mm-hmm. He's a very good defensive forward. He, he, he doesn't have that offensive upside. I mean, he's 28 years old. I mean, nobody expects Gabe Bork to score 20 goals this year. No, yeah. I mean, if he, if he chips in five goals or six goals, that's great. He had two goals last year, uh, right. w- with the, with the Avalanche in 55 games. Sure. So, uh, you know, a- and, you know, if he does play for the Jets, you know, he can play five minutes, six minutes a game, and it's not the end of the world. Whereas a guy, to your point of Veselainen or Appleton playing only five or six minutes a game is a waste of those players and a waste of their development. Well, I, I just, I mean, the, the reason why I think, aside from the fact that Veselainen and Appleton are, what, two years apart or three years apart? Appleton was a 2015 draft, Veselainen mm-hmm. was a 2017 draft, so they're two years apart. Appleton has more of that American Hockey League experience. And, and, and he's got more of the NHL well, experience. And, 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 you know, what did he play? 30 games last year for the Jets? 20 games? So when you're talking about, you know, Appleton, I actually thought he showed really well with the Jets. I mean, he's a very smart player. Yeah. And he played 36 games last year. With there you the go. Jets. 36 games. So when you're talking about Appleton, I just think that you can't necessarily, and I'm not saying you were Drew, but mm-hmm. you can't necessarily group those two together because I think Appleton is f- farther ahead in the development curve. Whereas when you're talking about Veselainen, mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't really know we what, saw what his role is going to be. I think yeah. you could safely say that Paul Maurice is going to look at Mason Appleton and, you know, depending what happens in training camp, he's going to say, okay, you know, he's going to slot really well on our checking line. Or, you know, maybe he's going to be in more of a scoring role and we'll, I mean, we don't know who he's going to play with. He could end up playing with Brian Little. He could end up, end up playing with Adam Lowry in the middle, right? We just don't know yet. There's so many unknowns. I just think when you're talking about Veseline, and I think you also have to deal with his confidence there, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't, you have to be a little bit more careful when you have a younger player like that. That's all I'm saying. And I'm not saying that Veseline isn't going to play full, full time in the NHL. I'm just saying you have to ask the question, you know, is he ready for a full year in the NHL in the role that the Jets are going to put him in? Because I don't expect, and even if, you know, Connor and Lion A for some reason aren't in the lineup for game one, which I do think they will be, I just don't necessarily think that Veselainen is going to be on one of the top two lines. I might be wrong, but I, I just think the Jets have way too many good, skilled players ahead of him, Ehlers and all these guys. I just I, I see Veselainen on this team probably slotting in most likely on the third or fourth line, and I, I just don't know if that's the best role for him right now. He might be better off, to your point, playing top-line minutes at the AHL level, really you know, developing his North American game at that level before you know, becoming an NHL regular. When we come back, Scott Billick covers the Winnipeg Jets for the Winnipeg Sun. He's going to join us for more Jets talk. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We are live on TSN Radio 1290. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN 1290.ca. Bottom of the hour. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Ezra Ginsberg with you in studio. Producer Sean Asor working his magic behind the board. You can follow us on Twitter at Illegal Curve. That's the best way to reach us here in studio. 
If you're more old-fashioned, if you like texting, you can do that. Send your text to 1290.90. Standard messaging rates will apply. And our website with the latest Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose news and audio is IllegalCurve.com. Now, let's go live on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Hotline. The one, the only, Scott Billick joins us on the program now. Scotty, of course, covers the Winnipeg Jets for the Winnipeg Sun. I guess first and foremost, Scott, uh, how has your summer been? Congratulations on the new <laughs> full-time gig as a Jets beat writer for the Sun. Yeah, a busy summer. Uh, you know, still on the news side until after this election's over. So, but yeah. Uh, There's an election going on? Apparently, oh. yes. And And uh, September 10th will be over. Nice, just right in time for... For training camp to kick off and won't be any more distractions. From so, Scott, do we have to start calling you Mister? Because we every time I see Ken Weeb, I call him Mister Weeb. So, I just want to know if I have to call you Mister Billick now. I don't know. Aren't you older than me? It would <laughs> probably be a little weird. I think. But I don't know. If you want to, I'm fine with it. Uh, whatever works. He, he might be older chronologically, but not maturity wise. I can assure you about that. And Scott, by the way, Drew's older than me and you combined. So, if that helps, uh, fair, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Everybody's a comedian, eh? Didn't you miss this kind of banter when we were off for a couple of weeks there, Scotty? Yeah, Yeah, good cover. Anyway, Scott, let's talk about the Winnipeg Jets. We're sitting here a couple days before Labor Day. No movement on Line A, no movement on Connor. You know, it was a couple weeks ago where Line A was interviewed over in Finland, and, you know, some of his comments were perceived as a little lukewarm about Winnipeg and maybe lukewarm about the organization. Do you take those to be concerning, or do you just think those are the the nature of the comments that are made when a guy is waiting on a contract? Yeah, I 100% agree that it's the latter. I mean, there's a lot of posturing that goes on these times. And, you know, it's interesting because you read that, that uh, what he said to, to Sportsnet's Chris Johnson there um, about, uh, you know, you, you wonder, you know, somebody will say language barrier. I just think it's Patrick Lyon talking, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's always one to be brutally honest about things and, and, and so that's what he did, what he's done. Um, and, and then you read the, the story that he hadn't finished, and it was a little less, I guess, kind of blunt, uh, you know, in, in, in his native tongue. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, he, he's saying what, what it is. I mean, that, that is the situation right now. And, and a lot of players are saying that. I mean, Mitch Marner is, uh, you know, working on trying to find a deal to, to practice somewhere if he, if he can't get a deal done, right? So, um it's just it's the way it is for these. I think it's what is it still thirty thirty some odd eight RFAs. I don't know if that number's decreased at all since the last time I checked. But you know, it's just you know roughly you know uh, thirty guys still waiting to to hash out some contracts here, and 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 they're all saying various things. And you know, I just think for the most part, a lot of it's a lot of posturing. I mean, you see most of that in the Mitch Marner situation, but uh, you know, Kyle Connor was here during. Uh, the Players Cup when he was here, and he kind of talked about it. I mean, he, he you know he he himself said, "Hey, I don't want to miss training camp. I'd like to get something done." But at the same time, you know, I'm going to, you know, you know, he alluded to the fact that he wants to, you know, get a, a deal done that that's good for him too, right? So this whole summer has been this this kind of this waiting game, holding pattern type thing, you know, and it's. I, I, I assume you know it's growing old on the fan base, of course, and and I imagine the team would like to get this stuff done, so you don't have to worry about these types of things heading into training camp. Because you know, for the most part, these two guys are in your top six, and and that's really where you want to 
experiment, I guess, in training camp to see if you can make your lines more optimal where you can get line A going with maybe a guy like Mark Shifley. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think these, you know, it's dragged on long and, 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 you know, for Jets, they're going to be hoping that it doesn't drag on through training camp, which is, uh, you know, I think critical this year just based on how last year ended. Scotty, you had an article in Wednesday's Winnipeg Sun about Nikolai Ehlers, and you know you were basically making the the point that trading Nikolai Ehlers would be a huge mistake. And you know you went into some of the advanced stats, and you went into shot contributions, and you compared Ehlers to McDavid. And you know in the article you mentioned, you're not saying that Ehlers is McDavid, but you you make the argument, and you make the argument really well, I should say, that you know Ehlers is a very valuable forward. So. I'm not going to ask you about, you know, any of the trade rumors and anything like that because we, I think, all agree that, you know, the Jets, I think, shouldn't trade Nikolai Ehlers. But when you look at his year and especially the way that it ended and he didn't have the right. success that he wanted in the playoffs, when you look at the Jets as a, as a whole, obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, question marks, especially on the back end. But is Ehlers one guy where, where you look at him and especially early on in the season, you, you say, you know, if he can really get it all together and, and have a good training camp and come into the season and start really firing on all cylinders, he's one guy that, that could really have maybe the biggest impact and, and, and could be, I don't want to say a, an X factor early on, but he, he's one of those guys that you're looking at for, you know, really coming out of the gates hot. Yeah, and I don't I think, you know, saying X factor would be wrong. I mean, I think the way that Nicky Ehlers plays the game, his, his ability, and, and you know, I, I don't want to bore everybody with numbers, but you look at the numbers that... Um, <laughs> we do the boring that, on this show, with Scotty, yeah, not you. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you just you, you look at some of these things, and it, it, it's kind of surprising, right? Like, to see that Nick Ayers kind of produces the same kind of shot contributions, the the number of shots a game, and, you know, it, it, it's comparable to a guy like Conor McDavid. And, and, and if you look at some of the other stuff that I posted there in that story, it, it's better than the you know the the, the guys uh, around him in the top six. So, um, yeah, I think you know a lot of Ehlers. I mean, you look at the playoffs, and everybody's going to look at that because zero goals in twenty one games is a you know, is a red flag, right? Like, where, where's the production then? Um, you know, why isn't he getting it? People will say bad luck. You know, the you know the other argument is the Jets were playing horrible anyways at that point. I mean, that was kind of the, you know, it, it was just a continuation in the playoffs of 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 how the regular season kind of closed out for them. It was just you know uninspired hockey, and 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 that's on everybody, not just Nick Leelers. I mean, you, you, yeah, sure, you'd like to see him score, but you would like to see a lot of people score in that in that playoff series because otherwise, you know, you get the result that happened there. So, um, yeah, I think to me, it's just, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting look at how impactful he can be when you, like, when you, you break it down from just like the goals and assists and blah, 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 um, where he's actually, you know, he's, he's helping guys produce shots. And so I think, yeah, like that, that can all translate into, you know, if a puck goes in for him, if, if, if just if some of the, "Quote unquote bad luck kind of falls away and and, and things happen for him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe that he, he could have a, you know a good start for him. Like any player is obviously ideal. Um, but yeah, based on what I saw and what I was able to kind of derive out of these things is that you know, you know Nick Ehlers is going to help produce offense and and you know if, if some of that stuff can just go the Jets' way at the start of the year, much like it did kind of the start of last year, where you know the Jets were in first place." up until Christmas time, right? So, I mean, it, 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 they can put it all together, and it's just, you know, they got to find a way to do it this year with maybe a, 
you know, a, a different lineup, especially on the back end, like you guys said. Scott Billick is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Scott covers the Winnipeg Jets. For the Winnipeg Sun, you know, Scott, nobody's talking about Eric Comrie uh, of of the Jets' RFAs, and no, no surprise, obviously, Line A and Connor are going to get the headlines, but Comrie himself is, of course, also an RFA. Can you foresee a scenario where the Jets end up maybe starting the season even with three goalies on their roster? I think the Leafs did that to start last year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with uh, McElhaney and Hutchinson and, and Anderson. So could you see the Jets potentially doing something similar? Because Comrie, of of course, uh, they don't want to lose him. Allegedly, they don't want to lose him for nothing uh, through waivers. Yeah, um, I, I guess it's a, a scenario that could play out. Yeah, um, uh, ideally that wouldn't be the case. Um, but I mean, who knows what the roster is going to look like? I mean, if you know, let's say Liney and Connor don't sign, well, the Jets <laughs> I think right now have what, 18 players on their sign to the roster right now, and they have to get up to that. You know, they're going to want to carry 22. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, I to me, I kind of wonder where Eric Comrie kind of now fits into the, you know, he, he'll play, but I mean, are they going to want, uh, do they want now, you know, Mikhail Burden to kind of take over, uh, down there? And, you know, Dave could talk about that better than I could. Um, yeah, he's not here though. <laughs> yeah. Well, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, it, it's, uh, to me, yeah, I mean, the honest answer is I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I think ideally that's not what they'd want to do, though. Um, but, uh, you know, and I think at some point they're going to look at uh, a guy like Eric Conrad and wonder if, uh, you know, what, what, what they can maybe get for him if, if the plan is to kind of, you know, shift direction in, in, in you know, pointing to, to, to Mikhail Burden. Um, he's probably going to see a lot of time with Moose this year. I mean, he is, he had a good year last year, of course. Uh, when he played in the AHL, and, and I think, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see what he can do, and going forward, obviously, you know, he's trending upwards, and I, I'm not really quite sure where Eric Comrie kind of is trending uh, at the moment. Now, Scotty, last question for you here. We talked about the defense a little bit earlier, and, and we all know that's the biggest question mark for this Jets team. I yeah. mean, there aren't any question marks, at least there aren't any question marks for me when it comes to the goaltending with Connor Hellebuck and, and Lauren Brassois. Mm-hmm. We talked about Eric Comrie, Burden. I mean, the Jets are, are pretty good right now in goal, not to mention all the other prospects they have. But when you talk about defense, just because Jacob Truba was traded and, and we know that Tyler Myers and Ben Sherratt left for other teams, but when you're talking about that defense, what makes you think that maybe it's not as bad as some people think? Because obviously Neil Pionk is right. not Jacob Truba. I don't think anybody's going to mistake Pionk for Truba. But when you're talking about Sammy Niku and, and Tucker Pullman, Nathan Beaulieu, Dmitry Kulikov, some of the other depth guys, we know that you know Morrissey and Buffer are most likely going to be the top pair. But what would you say to some Jets fans are, who are really nervous about that Jets defense? Because I look at that defense and I don't think it's as bad as some people think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can't, I, I, you know, it's not that I don't understand what Jets fans are, are, are the nervousness. Like, you know, you can understand that. Just you lose, you know, three of your top six essentially in in Truba, Myers, and Sherrill in one off season. That obviously is going to be a, a, come as a bit of a shocker. But yeah, I mean, I, to me, I mean, I, guys like you know Sammy Niku, T- Tucker Pullman. Um, you know, those guys, you know, are, are younger, uh, cheaper, and potentially even better than, than, than the other two, just based on metrics, at least alone. Um, you know, obviously they don't have the experience that a Myers and a Sherrod bring to a team. Um, you know, it, it was always going to be tough to replace a guy like Jacob Truba. I'm not really even going to 
you know, it, you have Nathan Beaulieu and you kind of hope that, you know, he kind of continues to play that he played playing alongside Jacob Truba at the end of last season when, when Josh Morrissey was out. Um, but, I mean, <clears throat> you look at the money that, that Myers and Sherrod got and that it, it wasn't money that really, you know, it, it, it's fine. You know, players get paid what they get paid. They have no issue with that. But, you know, it, 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 when you look at the money and, and, and kind of what they contributed to the team, I mean, the Jets wouldn't and couldn't really pay for that anyways. Um, but you kind of wouldn't want to because you do have a guy like Sammy Niku that's kind of, you know, ready and, and, and willing to try and make that next step and, and to show rather well uh, in, in a short amount of time. Neil Pionk is kind of a mystery to me. You don't really know what you're getting with him yet. Um, you know, he played on a, a, t- a tough, uh, you know, a poor Rangers team last year. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he can do in a different environment. Um, you know, not a team uh, I, in rebuilding, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm entirely bullish on the defense at this point, but you know, I, I also don't think, it's, yeah, I don't think it's as bad as, you know, some of the, the detractors might, might say it is because, you know, the, the young talent, and you've seen it time and time again with this team, you know, this kind of youth revolution that does happen around here there, there's some good players that have been groomed that can come up and play and and i think you know a guy like sammy niku and tucker puman could actually end up being more effective than a tyler myers and a ben Sherrod. so it'll just end up you know it'll be it'll be interesting to see i mean there's a, obviously a spot open there to win in, in uh the offseason you don't forget about dimitri kulikov he's there so um, you know, there's some there, there's some spaces to to be won uh, on the back end still. I think it'll be competitive, and I think you know a guy like Sam Unique who's got to really you know be ready to go here and 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 kind of uh, from the onset try and you know work his way probably even into a potential top four role uh, kind of heading into the season. And questions abound with this Winnipeg Jets team. <laughs> Answers will be forthcoming over the next weeks and months. Scott Billick will cover it all for the Winnipeg Sun. Scotty, appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great long weekend, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. When we come back, we discuss some of the other RFAs throughout the league. Who's going to sign first? What's going to happen in Toronto? What's going to happen in Colorado? What's going to happen in Tampa? And really in a lot of other cities throughout the NHL. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We are live on TSN Radio 1290. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN 1290.ca. It's so quiet on the RFA front. It seems like everything is at a complete standstill. So when you look at it from that perspective, why is it that way? What has gotten us to this point? What's the biggest factor? I think it's the Austin Matthews contract. I really do. It was quietly done in February. And what he got changed the dynamics of it. You know, everybody was thinking long term. He got a five-year deal. And that changed the thinking for a lot of people, I think. TSN hockey analyst Dave Poulin talking about the RFA situation and why we sit here on August 31st and there's no action whatsoever among any of the RFAs throughout the league. I'm starting to get more pumped up for hockey season. Like, I'll be honest, like two or three days ago, I was like, okay, we have to go back and, and, and do the illegal curve hockey show again, which obviously I was excited about, but I'm just so busy at home with, you know, the newborn and, and my daughter, but, you know, walking into the studio today and, you know, hearing, you know, the, the clips that we're playing, like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm a summer is over denier. Like I'm not ready to completely admit that summer is over, but 
Uh, you, summer, step, summer's over. Step outside today. The summer yeah. is over. It's, yeah, it's uh, over. <laughs> a, a rainy day in Manitoba so far on this Saturday morning. Call me when the exhibition season's over. I can't. Uh, I, I just can't handle exhibition hockey. I can't handle the fact that there's full price tickets, you know, f- being charged for exhibition hockey. That's uh, one of the most insulting scams that sports fans, you know, throughout the world have to deal with. I mean, it, it's absolutely absurd. I mean, baseball does it right in that spring training tickets. You know, you you don't have to pay for a spring training ticket if you're a season ticket holder of any other team. It's just one of those things. If you want to pay for, it, you can. But I mean, you saw the football game that was here. You know, uh, what was that last week? You know, paying full price for exhibition is the biggest ripoff of sports fans that still exist in, in, in really in the world today. That and, you know, maybe paying public money for uh, public money for arenas and stadiums and things like that. Taxpayer money. That's what I meant to say. Anyways, welcome back to the program. RFAs are still unsigned. The segment of the show brought to you by Dr. Les Rikus and the team at Linden Market Dental Center. Dr. Rikus and his team provide modern and comprehensive dental care for the entire family. To make an appointment today, visit Linden Market Dental Center. Dot com. Forget about Line A and Connor for a second. Who do you think is the first RFA to go, Ezzy? Of the big guys. Of the Points, the Rantanens, the Marners, the, the, I mean, Connors and Line A's theoretically, but, you know, forget about those guys. We've talked about them throughout the show. Who do you think the first guy is to go? You know, I, I've said this before. I mentioned him earlier, obviously the UND connection, but, you know, Brock Besser yeah. is a guy that, you know, I don't know if he's considered. Uh, amongst not, that top tier, but for me, he's still. I mean, he's a damn good player. But he's he's a, not, he's he was not a Calder a, finalist. Yeah, he's not in the top tier for me, though. I mean, he's well, not. He's not in the. He's a really good player. I know he's a great player. He's I, a guy that I could see scoring forty goals in the NHL. He's a great player. I'm not taking anything away from, him, but I don't put him into the same breath as Rantanen and Point, and Marner, and and and, sure. and, and Connor. Sure, and, fair and enough. Line. Yeah, and 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 and. You know, for, for good reason. I mean, when you're talking about Marner and and Lion A and Rantanen, I mean, you're talking about you know the the best some of the best young offensive players in the league, right? So yeah. we know that Sebastian Aho he he was signed to that offer sheet, and and Timo Meyer is the other guy I throw in there. He was the other kind of quote unquote big RFA, and and Meyer you know had a great year. And whether, I should include Matthew Kachuk as well. I mean Matthew Kachuk sure. is is yep. an RFA, and he's you know he's closer to that upper group than he is to the to right. the Besser group, I think. No, absolutely. And, and you know Matthew Kachuk is a player that you know is talked about a lot in terms of. You know, the Flames will probably have to move out a defenseman, whether that's a TJ Brody or a Travis Hamanick. And I realize about Hamanick. Right. And I realize a lot of Jets fans get excited when they hear that name. Travis Hamanick is, I mean, we, we could spend a whole show on him. He's a, not only an amazing person, but a great defenseman. But, you know, back to your question, Drew, Brock Besser was a guy that I thought might be one of the first guys to get done. I, I actually thought he might get done in August. Braden Point to me is another guy that I would expect to sign earlier. And, and the reason why I say that is because you know, going back to, you know, half an hour ago, the second segment of the show when we were talking about, or the first segment of the show, I forget, but when you were talking, we were talking about, you know, these RFAs and their contracts, bridge years and bridge deals and, you know, five year deals and all that. I would expect, you know, or I wouldn't be surprised if Braden Point is one guy who signs a quote unquote longer term deal, like seven or eight years. And that's just because, I mean, of, of how skilled he is. And, and, and if you look his, at his trajectory, I mean, this is a second round pick mm-hmm. who was a great player for the Moose Jaw Warriors, right? Like one of the great Moose Jaw Warriors of all time. And when you talk about, you know, what he's been doing, I mean, it, it's really, it, it's sensational. I mean, Braden Point, I, th- I don't think anybody expected Braden Point to be a 90 point guy. I think we expected him to be a good player. Like, it's not like, what I mean, Drew, is like Mitch Marner was a fourth overall pick. Patrick Laine was a second overall pick. 
Connor was 17th overall, but he could have easily been a top 10 pick, right? I mean, I go back to the draft in Florida with Craig Button, and he was saying, like, Kyle Connor could be a top 10 pick, right? Well, Braden Point came out of the third round. Pardon me, third round. No, the, Braden Point yeah. came out of the yeah, third sorry, round. Yeah, sorry, I, I said second. Right, okay. But I meant, I, I was wrong, third. Yeah. So when you're, the point is, I mean, and it doesn't matter. I mean, you look at Johnny Gaudreau, he was a... He wasn't a first round pick either, right? And he's, you know, a guy that is in, in the Hart Trophy conversation, just like points. So it doesn't really matter where you're drafted. But when you talk about, you know, some of these other guys, Miko Rantanen mm-hmm. is another guy. And I, I look at the Colorado Avalanche and I say, well, they've got the cap space, but how much is he going to get? Because I think a lot of people expect Rantanen to get $9 million a year. Yeah. They have, I mean, the, the, the Avalanche, you know, I'll tell you what, the Lightning are almost in a little bit of a better situation. The Lightning have really point only to sign. And they have about eight and a half million dollars in cap space. So you want to say you know, you can use that cap space that they currently have for this season, just just oh, just under eight point five million. And that's sort of they know that they need to give that eight point five million dollars to point. And, and you know, men, the dollars are going to be a little bit tweaked here and there and everywhere. And if they do a long term deal, obviously, but they know that for this season upcoming, they have eight point four million dollars in cap space. They have one player to fill with that eight point four million dollars. It's almost like they know. The, the parameters and the salary cap almost, you know, direct them to figuring out the contract without having to do any extra, you know, and any additionally complicated moves surrounding it. The Jets, you know, have their cap space, but they have the two players they have to fill. The Avalanche, to your point, as you about Rantanen, well, the Avalanche have, you know, $15.6 million in cap space and only Rantanen to sign. Well, that's my point. Like, yeah. right? Like, How so, much of that? You know, so Rantanen can say, well, you got the cap space, so I think I want $10 million. Another guy I would throw out there, and I would say that, you know, you hear a little bit of the news that, you know, Zach Wierenski's camp, and, and Zach Wierenski, by the way, is absolutely a tier one RFA defenseman. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about Charlie McAvoy and, and Zach Wierenski, I mean, these are, these are top pairing defenseman, right? So, I mean, Wierenski and and McAvoy, I would expect to sign earlier, but then you hear that Wierenski might be, like, I don't know, what is Wierenski going to get? Is he going to get $5 million a year? Is he going to get $6 million a year? He might be closer to $7 million a year. I really don't know. I haven't looked at the comparables, but, I mean, when you're talking about McAvoy... He's a 40... You know, Wierenski last year is is a 44-point defenseman. He's a really good defenseman. 21 years old. The trajectory is only pointing upwards. I mean, the, nobody's talking about the RFA defenseman. To your yep. point, Wierenski, McAvoy, Provorov. These contracts are almost as difficult to get done as the forward group that we're talking about. Because, you know, yeah, you're defensemen, right. yep. they're a little bit more complicated. It's not a, it's not a straight equation of, of points. There's all the other factors in their game that you have to look at that sometimes get overlooked when you're talking strictly about forwards who put up big numbers in the 70, 80, 90 point mark. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The defense are, are really not not getting as many headlines mm-hmm. and and I understand that you know a lot of the hockey news comes out of Toronto so that's why we hear about Mitch Marner but you know just to you know I know we're up against the break here and then we've got Mike McKenna coming up but when you talk about you know some of these RFAs I really don't expect many of these players to be unsigned once the season starts like when training camp starts yeah I think a lot of these guys will still be unsigned but with the exception of a few players I just don't expect lengthy holdouts and and that's because I just don't think teams want to go down that road absolutely you're listening to TSN radio 1290 when we come back Mike McKenna is going to join us he announced his retirement from the NHL earlier this week 
Alongside Ezra Ginsberg and Drew Mandel, this is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on TSN Radio 1290. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN 1290.ca. Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now on TSN Radio 1290. Alongside Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel. You can follow us on Twitter at Illegal Curve. You can... You can reach us in studio via text message. Send your text to 129090. Standard messaging rates do apply. And our website with the latest Winnipeg Jets news and audio is IllegalCurve.com. Now, let's go live on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Hotline. We're pleased to welcome back to the program our good friend Mike McKenna. You know Mike is a former NHL goaltender. You know him as the host of Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. And you now know him as an analyst on Vegas Golden Knights broadcasts. Mike, good morning and welcome to the program. Morning. Thanks so much. Love the Van Halen intro. When David <laughs> Lee Roth hits that high note for no reason. Love it. Yeah, we picked that especially for you, Mike. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Mike, obviously we brought you on to talk about uh, the announcement that you made earlier this week that you're calling it a career in the NHL after uh, what has just been uh, you know, a tremendous career going here, there, and everywhere. 15 NHL organizations, 22 professional teams in total. Why now? Why did you know that now is the time to officially announce that you're you are hanging up uh, the pads and you're retiring from the professional ranks? Oh, I figured I could get a 16th organization if I retired, and I got it. There you go, the Golden Knights. Back to where you started your uh, your professional hockey career in Vegas. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm over the hump. I'm over half the teams now. But, <laughs> it, no, realistically, the reason being is that it just felt like the timing was right for it. And I've seen players hang on for too long, way too often, to be honest with you. You'll see guys at my age trying to grab PTOs and just catch on with teams when a job's not available and, I always wanted and had the desire to walk away from the game on my terms and when I felt it was right. And I looked at this past season as being my last. I thought it would be going into it. And kind of the way things went confirmed it to me that it was the right decision. I wanted it to be a chance for my two-turning-three-year-old daughter at the time to remember me as a hockey player. And quite frankly, it was just getting harder to get jobs. And I thought, you know, if I do this year, have some fun, I can look back on it and say, you know what, I walked away when I wanted to. I was healthy, which, I mean, I never missed a game in my life due to an injury, which was unprecedented. But the timing felt right. And I, I know it's the right decision because I look back on it now and I feel completely at peace with it. I'm totally content and happy and grateful for everything that happened in my career. And I, I have a lot of peace of mind knowing that. You know, Mike, earlier this week when you officially announced your retirement, you had a really good note uh, that you posted on Twitter, and you know, for those who haven't seen it, you know, follow Mike uh, on Twitter at uh, Mike McKenna fifty six. And you know, I I just thought it was such a heartfelt uh, note. And you know, you mentioned you know your wife and and your kids and how that was a, a factor. And I don't know if you you heard Ben Lovejoy. He was he was talking about that after he retired. That you know that's you know at the stage of of his life, you know, family is so important. And you know, you mentioned that you know coming from St. Louis, you know, a St. Louis born kid had never made. Uh, you know, it to the NHL and you talk about how, you know, influential, you know, the Springfield Junior Blues program, uh, was for you. And, and I was going to ask you how fitting it was that, you know, you're retiring, you're from St. Louis and the same year within the same, you know, few months as the St. Louis Blues win their first ever, uh, Stanley Cup. And obviously, you know, you have the Pat Maroon connection to, to St. Louis as well. But just how fitting is it that, you know, you're retiring the same year that the Blues won their first ever Cup? 
I think it's just kind of an interesting parallel. Um, Chris Butler fit into that mold, too, a local kid who ended up winning the Cup with the Blues. He didn't play any games down the stretch in playoffs, but he was with them the whole time as an ace. And I look at those guys, I mean, it, that's as good as it gets. But it was really exciting to be part of that right as my career was winding down. You know, I finished the year in Allentown and Lehigh Valley Phantoms and came home and started to do writing for NHL.com. So I'm writing all through the playoffs. I've got a press pass. I'm down there for games at morning skates and watching the finals. And just really cool, you know. And to see the way the whole city embraced it here in St. Louis, it's hard to describe it, you know. For a place that had so long been considered a baseball town, it's just a sports town. And I think people are finally realizing that. And, yeah, it it was super cool for that to happen. I mean, I don't really have that fan connection anymore, but to see all my friends, to see – you know, former teammates of mine win the cup like that in my hometown. It's pretty special. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on TSN Radio 1290. Our guest is Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender, announced his retirement from the league earlier this week. Obviously, Mike, we went through the number of organizations, 15 organizations, 22 professional teams. Do you have one story over your course of your entire professional career that sort of jumps out to you as the most memorable of them all? Well, which which direction do you want to go with it? I mean, memorable <laughs> in terms of like on the ice, it's tough to be even off ice, <laughs> on you ice, know, off yeah. ice, whatever you like, as long as it's radio appropriate. <laughs> I mean, on the ice, you know, my first win was a shutout. It was at home with Tampa Bay against the Islanders. My parents had just gotten there. I mean, that's that's the pinnacle there. Going to Game Seven in the Calder Cup Finals and ultimately not winning, but just being on that stage and playing the last game of the year. Uh, in North America, in the world, was was an incredible experience with friends, and they'll never forget. But I think it always relates back to it. Anybody who knows me, I talk about it often. But off the ice, when our bus caught on fire when I was in Portland <laughs> my first time, on the way to Providence, and we're on the side of the highway with this burning bus, thinking there's no way we're going to play hockey, and we end up showing up two hours late. We have to wear undergear from the Providence Bruins. It's brand new. It smells like formaldehyde. And our gear all smells like a mechanical fire. And we go out there, and we'd end up deciding to play, which was crazy in the first place. My goalie partner, Gerald Coleman, said he can't play because the smoke smells so bad. And I said, whatever, we're here, guys. Let's get it done. Well, we ended up getting trounced like 8-3 that night, uh, purely due to smoke inhalation. But, uh, I mean, we were on the news, you know, flames licking over the side of the bus. Our 6'5", 250-pound fighter, Mike Hoffman, not the one who's playing for Florida now, mind you, the other Mike Hoffman. <laughs> He's pushing people out of the out of the aisle to get off the bus like Costanza and Seinfeld. <laughs> Just, it was surreal. Uh, you'll never forget something like that. I'm glad I've got pictures of it, and I'm glad, you know, everybody survived the thing. Nothing bad happened because it it's pretty funny looking back on it. Mike, we mentioned your new gig with the Vegas Golden Knights. You're going to be an analyst. And uh, shortly after that announcement was made, uh, I saw a, a funny tweet from Dan Duva, a.k.a. the Sicilian Soundbite. And we've had him on the show before, and I had a chance to meet uh, him when he was in Winnipeg. And he's just such, such an amazing guy and a, a great broadcaster. And, you know, he tweeted about you, and he, he asked... He tweeted out that we needed to ask you about a few things, and you know I, I went through the list, the the rattlesnake coffee mug, and the the nicknames and the racing. But because we ate a burger from one of our sponsors, Bernstein's Deli, I have to ask you about being a, a star burger chef. So we got to ask yeah. you, how do you like to cook those burgers? All right. So the <laughs> the full background on this is that when I was playing for the Springfield Thunderbirds 
in Springfield, Massachusetts, the team was entered in a burger competition. So they approached me, knowing I like to cook, and said, hey, can you, can you whip up a burger for us to put into this? It was going to be our team against three other local chefs in town, uh, one from Plan B Burgers who was hosting the event, and two other guys. And I was like, all right, cool. And I took this really seriously. I don't think they really expected that. And <laughs> I started calling in, like, chef friends, James Beard winners, and I'm looking for advice. And I did a demo tasting night with, like, a half dozen teammates about a week in advance to come up with our perfect concept for this. And I had two of them. One of them was, like, an Asian-Mexican mashup, and the other one was kind of like a just a, you know, really good version of basically a bacon cheeseburger, but I kind of did my thing with it. And so we ended up coming up with a concept that was had like this sweet and, sweet and sour um, kind of maple shallot jam on it with bacon and aioli and arugula. It just, it, it ended up turning out pretty well because we won the event. And I ended <laughs> up being on the menu at Plan B Burgers for the better part of a year. And the best part of the story, though, was that Brian McCabe was our director of player development for the Florida Panthers at the time. And he shows up at this event, right? It's a big tasting. Like it's a, it's a cultural event in the city of Springfield. And Caber opens a tab for the boys on like a Tuesday night. And the, and the boys just had a time, man, like burgers are slinging around, you know, beers are going. And I guess just one of my favorite memories of my time there. And, and we all had a blast doing it, but yeah, I took that burger and we won. And then, uh, the, you know, two years later it was, I kind of like made a variation of it in Texas that, that made it a little more Texas with things, and we put it on the menu at the arena at the HEB Center in Austin. Well, hopefully that you didn't have any games. Any, you had a couple of days between games after you're having your night out with the burgers in in Springfield there. Yeah, like I said, that was a Tuesday, and we weren't playing until Friday, so Caber picked the perfect time for some team bonding, and everybody appreciated it. So, is that one of the first things that you're going to do in Vegas? Is you're going to you know cook up a few burgers for Gary Lawless and and Nighty and the boys? If they request it, I'm game for anything. I mean, I'm basically their rookie. They're probably going to treat me like that. So whatever they ask for, I'm ready for it. But it is actually something I'm kind of looking forward to being on the media side of things now that I can really embrace these things. And not just my interests, but guys on the team, their interests, their passions, the things that don't necessarily come out in everyday interviews. That's what I'm really looking forward to digging in and trying to to bring to the people in Las Vegas. Well, you can give new meaning to the term freshman 15 now that you're a member of the, of the your freshman rookie, uh, member of the media broadcast crew there in Vegas, Mike. I'm trying to lose some weight, man. I'm probably like <laughs> five or ten pounds up on my playing weight right now because I have not touched a weight since the end of the season. And uh, I'm actually kind of looking at it as a chance for me to get myself back into shape when I get out there and get into a bit of a routine. So I'm excited about that part, too. Well, you never know when they're going to need an emergency goaltender. We've seen it, you know, you see it at least once a year where some media guy or some, you know, Former college goalie gets the call and has to play a couple minutes because of some, you know, three injuries in the span of five minutes or something. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm bringing my gear with me. Um, I mean, I think there actually is a chance that when they need a spare goalie, like in a morning skate or something, yeah. I'd be happy to hop in the cage for it. It'd probably be a fun way for me to to stay current with it too. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll be able to turn off, turn off the competitive switch though. So. <laughs> um, Yes. It'll be it'll be fun if I get the chance to do that, but I think the league actually has rules against somebody like me being the emergency backup. Like uh-huh. I think that you have to have somebody nowadays who's like an amateur within the last five years or whatever. That's I'm not sure the logistics on it, but I might be disqualified from that. Well, let's, let it never be said the NHL is not worried about the most important things as to who the emergency goaltender is and how recently he's last played in the league. Well. 
nobody thought a whole lot of me when I was in the league anyway, so it can't get much. <laughs> Mike McKenna just retired from the NHL earlier this week. He's joined the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast crew. Mike, he's also the host. The podcast continues? Yeah, we're going to keep it going. I'm going to try to keep going weekly with it. We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, I got some really cool stuff coming down the pipe. Uh, this week's guest for two IndyCar drivers, Marcus Erickson, who was a former goalie in Sweden until he was 16, and James Hinchcliffe, 2016 Indy 500 pole winner. So uh, trying to be really, like, varied with it, bring in goalies, other people, and have some fun. Yeah, Mike, I saw that you had former uh, Thrashers draft pick Peter Menino, who's uh, coaching now, so I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but I'm going to definitely listen to that one because uh, he's a guy that that's uh, familiar to Jets fans here, and I'm excited to check that one out. Oh, and you should, because he was ready. He brought the heat. He threw some shade at Paul Bissonette, which I didn't expect, uh, regarding our rookie party in Portland. He, Mano was fun. He can spin a yarn, man. We've, we had a lot of good times together, even in the month and a half that we were teammates. So his is definitely, if you're looking for a first episode to, to kind of start with, I definitely recommend his. He was really good. Broadcaster, podcaster, burger chef, Mike McKenna does it all. Mike, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much for doing it. Congratulations on a tremendous professional career. We'll do it again real soon, buddy. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care, Mike. Mike McKenna joining us on the program. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We are live on TSN Radio 1290, and when we come back, we discuss the Minnesota Wild hiring Bill Guerin as their new general manager. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN 1290.ca. I'd like to thank Bruce and, and uh, some of the other coaches for being here today. Um, I And the, the players. Um, I, I really do appreciate the support. I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting going here. We, we've got a lot of work to do, but there's a ton of potential. And I'm, I'm extremely excited to get to work with all of you guys. That is new Minnesota Wild general manager Bill Guerin meeting the media earlier in the week in the state of hockey. He replaces Paul Fenton, who was abruptly dismissed from his duties as the Wild General Manager a few weeks ago. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We are live here on TSN Radio 1290. Drew Mandel, Ezra Ginsberg with you in studio. It seems like every summer, Ezzy, in August, there's always one August surprise in the NHL. A couple yep. years ago, it was Patrick Waugh yep. abruptly you know, uh, quitting as the Avalanche head coach, and the head coach, and then they hired Jared Bednar, and we know that has worked out for the Avalanche as they are certainly one of the uh, sexy picks to come out of the Western Conference this coming season. Everyone expects that they're going to be a good team. This year, it was the Minnesota Wild who abruptly announced that Paul Fenton was no longer going to be their general manager after he had a tumultuous first season in charge of the Wild. And even though that was surprising, yeah. and, you know, it was unfortunate to hear for Paul Fenton, obviously, you know, former Winnipeg Jet 1.0, longtime, you know, right-hand man of David Poyles. In Nashville, but, waited his whole, you know, he was always going to be, he was the next, you know, sure thing as a general manager. But when you look at the body of work in 14 months, it was right? not impressive. It, you know, there were some trades there, I mean... I, you you just you wonder you know I mean Nino Niederreiter for Victor Rask was a trade that for me you know I I really thought the Carolina won that trade I just mm-hmm. think flat out Niederreiter is a better player and then you know when you're talking about the Mikel Granlin trade you know for Kevin Fiala Kevin Fiala by the way is a guy that we didn't talk about when we were talking about the RFAs he's still unsigned okay and you know he actually had uh, you know a down year I think he went from 
you know, something like 48 or 49 points to 38 points or something like that. You know, I'd, I'd have to pull it up here. But when you're talking about, you know, Fiala, he's one of the only guys that they have to sign, right? But I think when you're talking about Billy Guerin, first off, I've always been a big Billy Guerin fan going back to when he was a player, right? And he's got all the Stanley Cups, you know, as an assistant GM and as a player. But, you know, when you're talking about this wild team, I think everybody likes to kind of rush to say that, you know, the Wild, you know, they're not as good as they once were. You know, it's going to be really tough for them to make the playoffs in the Central Division. And by the way, I don't disagree with that because I do think there are other teams in the Central that are better. They're and, the and seventh the, place team in the, in the seven team division based on talent, I think. Yeah, based on talent. But yeah. I mean, we, we know that Bruce Boudreaux always coaches teams at the very least up until last year. Yeah. I mean, he always has his teams in the playoffs. So, and, and, I think health is a big part of it. I don't care what anybody says. You go back two years, Drew, and I know you want to get more into Bill Guerin and his hiring, but you go back two years. Yeah. Take it where you want to take it. If the, if the Wild had Ryan Suter and, and they had Zach Parise, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm talking about that series against the Jets. Yeah, well, when the, once they lost Suter, it was a foregone conclusion. Well, I, and, and Ryan Suter's a guy that plays you know, 27, 28 minutes a night. Yeah. If, if you don't have Ryan Suter against the big bad Jets, and, and, and I mean that, I mean the Jets were... Everybody remembers Dustin Bufflin was was absolutely crushing players left and right. I mean, they needed a guy like Ryan Suter in the lineup, and they needed Zach Parise. So what? What I, all I'm saying is, if the Wild are healthy, and we know that Miko Koivu is coming off an injury, and and Matt Dumba is coming off of injury. I mean, Matt Dumba's health to me. It, they need a healthy Dumba. Dumba's their best defenseman aside from Suter. Mm-hmm. So, and, and he might even, you can make Dumba the argument might he's be better than Suter. I was now. just going to say, you can make I the mean, argument that he's better now. Suter's onto the, you know, he's still a very good defenseman, yeah. but he's certainly, you know, he's got a lot of miles on, on that tread. Absolutely. So, they they need their veteran guys to be healthy, and that's been I think something that even though you don't want to use it as an excuse, if you're the Wild, like Bruce Boudreau is never going to use you know Parise's injury or Koivu's injury or anything like that. But I mean, these are the guys that are going to ultimately get them into the playoffs. So all I'm saying is, you know, if you if you're asking me to pick the five teams that are com- going to come out of the Central or mm-hmm. four, but I'm probably going to pick five. I would agree. I think the Wild are going to be. I'll say this. I wouldn't be surprised if the Wild made the playoffs, and at the very least, I think they're going to be competitive for the majority of the season. I don't think they're going to be a doormat. I think they're going to be competitive. I agree with that, and I think a lot of that has to do with Bruce Boudreau because he is... You know, he's certainly one of the best regular season head coaches in the NHL. You can argue about his playoff record, uh, you know, because he's obviously had some disappointments come playoff time. But in terms of getting the most out of your team, Bruce Boudreau is quite good at doing that. And, you know, I give... I give Craig Leopold a little bit of credit here in that he saw a bad situation in his front office. You know, Paul Fenton, I mean, Michael Russo did a great job documenting the, the turbulence that, that existed um, in the wild organization since Fenton took over about 14 months ago or so, 15 months ago prior to him getting dismissed. So Russo really outlined it pretty well. It sounds like it was a little bit of a chaotic, uh, you know, scene. Everybody wasn't on the same page. It wasn't cohesive. And I give Craig Leopold a little bit of credit in that he didn't wait too long to make a tough decision. He didn't like the direction the team was going in, clearly. Yeah, on ice and off ice. And that's what, you know, and that's what Leopold spoke about. And that's what yep. Russo talked about is that, you know, Leopold, you know, he talks about, you know, a family environment and, you know, how we're, Everybody has to be on the same page and blah, blah, blah. A lot of that might be lip service. I don't know. I'm not in the, uh, in the organization there. But he said he didn't like how things were going. And rather than letting it play itself out and maybe you know, spiraling even further out of, out of control, he acted decisively. 
And whatever you think about that, you know, time will tell if Garen is the right hire or not. But acting decisively in this situation, I think, is the right decision, especially if you see something you've built for so many years, all of a sudden going haywire and going off the tracks. Right. I agree with everything you said there. And, and you know, back to what we were talking about before, you know, you mentioned that you think the Wild are probably the seventh best team in the seven team central. Mm-hmm. I understand that because, you know, Dallas got better. Colorado got better. Uh, Chicago got better. I mean, Winnipeg and Nashville, they're already good. So they didn't necessarily have to get better. But I think um, Nashville, Nashville got better with Duchesne. Exactly. Uh-huh. So and but you do lose Subban. But the yeah. point the point is, I mean, Winnipeg and Nashville are, are considered, you know, playoff contenders yeah. every year. Right. They're They're just more established. But. The point back to what I was trying to say before is that, you know, if I, if the, put it this way, if the wild are healthy, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, they, they get some improvements from, you know, players that, that, that didn't have great years. I mean, Jason Zucker is a guy that, you know, I, th- I think, you know, finally we can put those trade rumors to bed. But when you're talking about, you know, what Garen has to do immediately, I don't think he has to do a lot. I mean, you have to sign Kevin Fiala. Sure. And, which and, shouldn't and, be too and, difficult. And, yeah, that's probably going to be a bridge deal, he right? He signed Erickson Eck almost yeah, the two days right. after he got the well, general and, manager. And Joel Erickson Eck is a, a former first round pick, and he's going to be a guy that, you know, he's going to be, he has to step up his game. He's going to have to be better. Mm-hmm. Because those are the types of players, the, the whole reason why I think Paul Fenton decided, okay, now's the time to trade Mikel Granlin. Now's the time to trade Nino Niederreiter. Now's the time to trade uh, Charlie Coyle is because they saw those players and they said, okay, well, you know, these players have almost kind of maxed out. They've hit their ceiling. And even though I don't think Paul Fenton got enough in return for, for those three players, I think Bill Guerin's going to look at this team. And he, he mentioned this at, at the press conference. He said, we have enough good players. And, you know, people are talking about, you know, Zach Parise and, and are, are you going to trade him and all that? I don't oh. think for a second who's Bill... Trading, who's trading for that contract? Well, and not only that, I think Bill Guerin realizes that, you know, if they have a chance at making the playoffs, they're going to need their veterans. I mean, Zach Parise, Ryan Suter, Eric Stahl, I mean, Matt Zuccarello, he's a veteran at this point in his career. I mean, the, the, you, you need all of these players. So I think if anybody expects Bill Guerin to come in and start making a bunch of trades, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, I don't see him making any major trades. Maybe he, you know, brings in one or two players, but, you know, Jake Gardner's a guy because he's from Minnesota. He, that's been a rumor, but you wonder, you know, can you fit Jake Gardner in there? You know, I would have to see a different player come back the other way because Jonas Brodeen, for example, he's your second parried left side defenseman, right? So Jake Gardner has to be in your top four. So mm-hmm. all I'm saying is I wouldn't expect big time changes. I mean, Bill Guerin's only been in his position for about a week and a half. I think the presence of Guerin is the big time change at this point in time. And the Wild, I mean, like I said, I think they're the seventh of seven place teams in the, in the Central Division, but they're not far and away, you know, they're not, you know, tremendously worse than the other seven teams. I still think they're going to be competitive night in, night out. And if they can stay healthy, they could sneak up on and surprise a few teams. When we come back, Sarah McClellan joins us. Sarah covers the Minnesota Wild, of course, for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. More about the upheaval in Minnesota. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We are live on TSN Radio 1290. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN 1290.ca. Bottom of hour number two. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Ezra Ginsberg with you in studio. You're listening to TSN Radio 1290. You can reach us here in studio via Twitter. Send your tweets to at Illegal Curve. You can reach us via text message. Send your text to 1290.90. Standard messaging rates do apply. And our website with the latest Winnipeg Jets news and audio is IllegalCurve.com. Now, let's go live on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Hotline. 
from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. She covers the Minnesota Wild. Sarah McClellan joins us on the program. Sarah, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. How's the summer been? Uh, it's been long, but it's been quick, too, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it totally does. You're probably sitting there, you know, having a relaxing August day, and then all of a sudden, a little bit of a bomb gets dropped on the Minnesota Wild organization with the announcement that Paul Fenton has been dismissed as general manager. Obviously, Bill Guerin hired earlier this week, or last week as the case may be, to replace Fenton. I, I guess, did you have any inkling that, the, that Fenton was going to lose his job in the manner that he did? I think the timing was most bizarre, and I think that's what caught you know caught, caught everyone off guard was just the timing of it to do it uh, so late in the off season. Um, I think if you look though at how the team performed and um, you know maybe how that first year had went under Fenton, I, I don't think necessarily the change maybe was surprising. Yes, usually general managers don't get fired after one year, but uh, the team just seemed to kind of be. Um, you know, just not clicking. And that was something that, you know, cohesiveness and consistency, those have kind of been trademarks of the team prior to Fenton's arrival. So team doesn't make the playoffs for the first time in seven years. Um, popular players are traded. And then you hear, you know, when ownership comes out and says there just wasn't the right vibe, the right culture, um, managerially, you know, in the office, then, you know, I think you kind of put those puzzle pieces together. You could see a departure, but I think that late in the offseason, after all the maneuvering for the roster had pretty much been done, I think that's what was probably most surprising for us that we're kind of around the team and, you know, had seen what had happened last season and then into the summer. You know, Sarah, you were there last week when Bill Guerin was hired at the press conference, and you know everybody wants to start talking about you know what's his first order of business. And I imagine you know we're about in a, a week and a half after Bill Guerin was hired, and he's probably still setting up his office, and he's probably still getting to know you know people in the Minnesota Wild organization. But when you look at you know the the coming weeks, you've obviously got you know training camp coming up in in mid September. But you know is it is it the Kevin Fiala signing? I don't think anybody expects that to be contentious. But you know aside from just getting to know you know his players and you know getting to know other people in the organization how do you expect bill garen to spend the next couple of weeks because as we mentioned earlier you know it, it's kind of rare that you see a gm hired in mid august yeah for sure i think this is probably you know as hasty of a transition as you'd probably expect in terms of someone getting in getting familiar learning about the pers personnel and probably even just, you know, putting faces to names. Um, you know, yeah, you're setting up an office, but you're right. I think Fiala is the last big signing. There's two RFAs, obviously. He's one of them that have that have to get done, obviously, before camp. And then I think it's just evaluating and assessing this organization top down. Um, you know, already Garen has kind of been out in the community. The Minnesota State Fair is going on. He's been out there. He's making the media rounds. He went to the Vikings facility. Like, he is kind of really starting to get steeped into, you know, what Minneapolis, St. Paul's about, learning, you know, about his, his, his staff, the organization, I think meeting players, um, you know, having those conversations. I know he went to dinner with Boos Boudreau earlier in the week. So I think it's just kind of like a crash course in the Minnesota wild. And he seems very eager and, um, you know, passionate about getting familiar with everyone. And then, you know, from there, obviously putting his fingerprints on this franchise. And I think that's probably going to be the most intriguing part of this is, you know, once he's familiar, once he's, 
you know, acquitted himself to the ins and outs of the organization. What does he do to fix this team and fix this on ice, pro- you know, product so that it can be one that, you know, contends and, and tries to get back to the playoffs. Sarah McClellan is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. You're listening to TSN Radio 1290. Sarah covers the Minnesota Wild for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Obviously, Sarah, they hired Paul Fenton, first-time general manager. It didn't work out. Why is Bill Guerin, another first-time general manager, going to be, you know, work out better than, than it did with Fenton? I, I think what gave them assurance and in, in, in going back to a first-time GM rather than maybe someone who has experiences, I think it's, it's Guerin's credentials. And, you know, you talk to anybody. I know I make, made calls and calls after he was hired, you know, to talk to those who he crossed paths with in the hockey world. And everyone, you know, had just nice things to say, glowing praise about Garing, who he is as a person, how he was as a player, and now how he carries himself as a manager. Um, you know, I think the fact that he had a successful 18-year career in the NHL, he's a four-time Stanley Cup champion with two of those cups coming since he's joined the front office. I think that's really appealing. Um, and someone who just, you know, kind of gets it. He, he's been on the player side for, like I said, almost 20 years. I think his ability to relate and communicate will be key. And the fact that he's not that far removed from the game. I mean, he just lifted the cup with the Penguins as a player 10 years ago. So I, I think that gave the Wild enough assurance that, okay, didn't work out last time when, you know, the organization went with a first-time GM, but there's enough pedigree here, I think, with Garen that they feel confident enough that he can come in and he has a vision and he's learned from some great general managers, obviously, throughout his career since joining the business, you know, side of management that um, I think just kind of his reputation and his resume to date made them comfortable going this direction. You know, Sarah, the Wild, as you know, didn't really have the busiest offseason, and Matt Zuccarello was the big free agent signing. And the guy that, you know, that is very interesting to me and someone who wasn't talked about enough or isn't really being talked about a lot prior to training camp is Ryan Hartman. And we all remember when Ryan Hartman was traded to Dallas and then, you know, we weren't sure that if he actually, you know, had the news because on Twitter he said that he was actually camping. But, you know, Ryan Hartman's a guy that's a former first round pick, as you know, and, you know, he had 19 goals one year with the Chicago Blackhawks. But obviously, you know, last year with the Flyers and the Predators, he didn't have the best year. But, I guess, what are the expectations for Hartman this year? I don't think anybody's expecting him necessarily to, to play on the top line, but are the Wild hoping that he's able to kind of regain the form that, that, that he used to have? Because obviously, you know, that might be obvious, but I mean, obviously they wouldn't give him a two-year contract unless they thought that, you know, he could, uh, you know, contribute more offensively. For sure. And you know, that was something that was brought up in my last conversation with Bruce Boudreaux. It was him saying, you know, it wasn't too long ago that he did score 19 goals in this league. So there is, I think, that somewhat of an expectation that maybe, you know, he could chip in steadily some secondary scoring, maybe not to that degree, but just someone who can come in and maybe provide a little support in that area for an offense that needs it. But I think overall the Wild see him as someone who brings credibility to their fourth line in terms of, um, you know, this in, in Boudreaux's eyes is the deepest forward group that he's had since he's been here and through his three years. This will be his fourth, um, because I think right now they see that fourth line filling out with Hartman on the right side and Marcus Salino on the left, and someone maybe up the middle like Nico Koivu as he kind of works back from his knee injury, or even a Joel Erickson X. And so I think they feel like this gives them a lot of balance and depth, and that's what Hartman can help provide. You know, I think that 
his kind of physical style at the opposite end of the line with Felino, who plays a similar game, um, you know, but also players who can try to be responsible in their own end, move their feet. I, I think the hope is that this is a line that can be responsible in its own end, um, not commit too many penalties, but can draw some too by kind of that agitating sandpaper style. And he seems to be kind of the poster boy for that type of, of approach. So, you're right. You know, I think Zuccarella catches a lot of the headlines, and rightfully so, when you give someone a five-year, you know, $30 million contract. But Hartman could be kind of maybe an under-the-radar acquisition that really pays dividends just because so much in today's NHL, as we've seen, is about balance and depth. And if your fourth line can play a pivotal role, like we saw even in these last playoffs, um, it really helps the team's chances to go far and, and be competitive. So, I think he could be a key guy for them this season. Sarah McClellan joins us here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on TSN Radio 1290. Sarah, last question for you. When most prognosticators would look at the Central Division, they would say that the Minnesota Wild are probably seventh of the seven teams in the division. Is Bruce Boudreaux maybe using that to his his advantage? We know that he's historically been one of the best regular season head coaches in NHL history. You know, is he maybe using the fact that people might be overlooking the Wild as a means of motivating the team when training camp begins in a couple weeks and saying, you know, everyone's writing us off, but there's a lot of talent still on that roster, and maybe we're going to catch some people by surprise? Completely. You hit the nail on the head. I think that's kind of going to be their rallying call this season, and the chip on their shoulder seems pretty massive because you're right the outside perception and a lot of the national kind of hockey world media has you know not expected much out of this wild group and then you add in you know the fact that it's kind of just been a tumultuous summer the changes at management um this is a group that is getting overlooked and already i've heard that that is going to be expressed internally like hey they don't expect anything out of you guys and so i think that there is the hope that as if this group needed more motivation, um, that, you know, that could provide some spark and, you know, an us-against-the-world mentality and um, relishing in how it feels to prove someone wrong. You know, I think that's part of it. And, two, um, this is just unusual for a lot of these players to not make the playoffs, to be kind of um, overlooked. A lot of these players that have been on this roster, Ryan Suter, Eric Stahl, Stanley Cup champion, Zach Greasy, they're used to competing and being in the playoffs and having a chance. And so it's been an extra long summer. Sounds like they're still ticked off by not being able to advance. So you add some more fuel to the fire in terms of, you know, maybe getting overlooked in, in media polls and rankings. And um, maybe that's kind of just an extra boost that this team will try to capitalize on and use to its advantage. So, Sarah, you mentioned it's been a long summer. So are you ready for the start of the season? Because Minnesota is in town October 10th. It's the Jets' home opener. So, you know, that's only about uh, you know six weeks away or so. It's crazy. I can't <laughs> believe it. But you know what? There's already a little chill in the air in Minneapolis. Yeah. It already started yeah. to feel like fall. Here, too. So that means hockey time. So you know what? I'm ready. Sarah McClellan covers the Minnesota Wild for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Sarah, always appreciate your time and insight. We'll let you get back to your Labor Day long weekend. Thanks so much for joining us.
Sounds good. Take care, guys. Take care, Sarah. Sarah McClellan's appearance on the program is brought to you by our friends Frank and Mauro Zappia of Zappia Group Realty, official realtors of Illegal Curve Hockey. When 95% of your clients come via a referral, it shows your commitment to honesty, integrity, and a total dedication to client satisfaction. For all your real estate needs, come shake hands with Frank and Mauro Zappia online at zappiagroup.com. I've got my Zap- Zappia Group rain jacket there here. There you go. Exactly. Because it's raining outside, so every anytime it's raining, yeah. you know, Frank and Morrow hooked us up, so we've got our jackets, so exactly. I always wear them proudly. And It's a very nice rain-repellent jacket, yep. that's what that jacket is. When we come back, one final segment, we're going to talk about Jesse Pugliarvi. We might touch on Jake Gardner. Don't be surprised if we talk about a hamburger again. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Much more to come live on TSN Radio 1290. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN 1290.ca. I don't think I'm the right guy to comment on it. It's... Uh... You know, obviously, uh, you know, he's a, a young guy uh, that, you know, uh, obviously doesn't um, feel like he wants to play for us anymore. So, um, but I'll leave it at that. I think, uh, you know, there's uh, there's people that, that will figure it out. That's Edmonton Oilers forward Leon Dreisaitl. Mr. 50 goals. Mr. 50 goals. Yeah. Speaking about Jesse Pugliarvi, Pugliarvi, of course, signed a one-year contract overseas in Finland. He does have an out until December 1st. So if he does want to you know, get traded or, or get a different opportunity in the NHL, he has until December 1st to exercise that option. But he signed a one-year contract with Ulun Karpat in the Finnish Elite League. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve. And he also had two points yesterday in the preseason. There you go. He had two points in the preseason for them. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. One final segment. We're live here on TSN Radio 1290. It's brought to you by Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, officially declared the funniest place in Winnipeg by Illegal Curve Hockey. For over 30 years, Rumors has been bringing Winnipeg the best in stand-up comedy. To purchase tickets or for a list of performers and showtimes, visit RumorsComedyClub.com. Tonight at Rumors, Peter White in town. He played to a sold-out crowd last night. Get your tickets before it's too late. RumorsComedyClub.com and a great lineup of comedians coming up. Sugar Sammy coming to Rumors next weekend. TJ Miller coming up at the end of the month. A fantastic roster of comedians. Check it out. RumorsComedyClub.com. Yeah, and we have to give a shout-out to our boy Benji Rothman who headlined Rumors, I think it was August 13th or August 14th. A couple weeks ago, yes, absolutely. And also a little shout-out to the Glover Boys. Yes, they won the Winnipeg Jewish yep. Slow Pitch, uh, Winnipeg Jewish Men Slow Pitch yep. League. Remus, Remus, he's yep. a winner. He's, you know, he's, his son has never been so proud. Um, you know, Benji Rothman, you mentioned a couple yep. of other guys that we know. So our boy Aaron Midgey, our boy, yeah, a lot yep. of guys. Congratulations to them on winning the Winnipeg Jewish Men Slow Pitch League uh, this this season. You, you used to hear libel, Rabbi libel, now to be completely yep. accurate. Talk about it a lot on the morning My second show. Second cousin. That's very good. Thank you. Yep. Mine, mine as well. Yep. Thank you for throwing that out there. But uh, yes, congratulations to them on winning the, the slow pitch league. Uh, quite the athletic achievement. How did the house do this year? Um, we were better than last year. We were competitive in most every game. We lost in the elimination round, unfortunately. We had some attendance issues in that game. A lot of our, a lot of our uh, roster was out, of, was out of town. Bad timing. But, uh, you know, we'll be back. We'll be back and better than ever next season, no doubt. So we expect that you're going to join up, and you and little Ruben are going to join the roster, right? Yeah, well, maybe Ruben's going to play in the year, like, you know, 2023 or something. But um, That's four years from now. He would be literally five years old. <laughs> I meant to say two- <laughs> 
Five-year-olds are not allowed two, to play softball to with say, grown men, two, Ezra. 2033. Oh, my God. Yes, that, I have more. two children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have four children between us. I know. Thing, stranger things have happened, but I'm not sure much stranger than that. Pooley-Arvey signing in, uh, in overseas in Finland. What do you think of Dreisaitl's comments? Do you have a problem with them? You know, he's, you know, this is a guy who probably won't play for the Oilers again. There is a possibility he can because the Oilers do maintain his rights, and there's no reason for them to sell low on Pooley-Arvey. I can't see Pooley-Arvey ever playing with Edmonton again. Well, you never know. He could come back if he plays well overseas in Finland and rebuilds some of his value. I don't think he's going to be a long-term Edmonton Oiler, but maybe they bring him back. Maybe he plays for them. Maybe then they trade him. I mean, if he wants to play in the NHL again, it's going to be hard for him to at least not... Well, it's going to be hard for him to play in the NHL if he's playing in Finland. <laughs> right, but he needs, he's going to need to prove something, uh, probably with the Oilers, before another team's going to be willing to spend a legitimate asset on acquiring him. So do you have a problem with Dreisaitl's comments, or do you think they're they're legitimate in that, you know, the perception being that Pugliarvi, maybe he's entitled, maybe he's been mishandled by the Oilers? I think he's absolutely been mishandled by the Oilers. I would I think, agree. I think when you're talking about Pugliarvi, I mean, we know that he that first year i mean the the year after the not the year he was drafted but the year after he was drafted he split time between the oilers and the and the condors right in the ahl bakersfield and mm-hmm. we know that he most likely should have spent that whole year in bakersfield and then what happened is the next year the same thing happened he played the majority of the season with the oilers but then he was sent down i forget exactly when he was sent down it was kind of like midway through the season but the point yeah, is they jerked around right he's that organization yeah. jerking the player around the the the, the, the term i was going to use or the words I was going to use were yo-yo, but when you're talking about Pugliarvi, I think, I mean, you forget he's 21 years old. Mm-hmm. He was a fourth overall pick, and, and you know, we thought he was going to go third, but obviously Dubois went to Columbus. And but Columbus knew what they were doing when uh, Yarmo Kekalainen well, passed up on, uh, well, you know, the... Dubois is the, their first line center, right? So, <laughs> But when you're talking about Pugliarvi, I mean... I I I'm, I like Pugliarvi. I I I do think that he's going to have a lengthy NHL career. But can you blame him for what's been going on? Like I thought that when the new regime came in, came in Kenny Holland and and Dave Tippett, I thought Pugliarvi would say, "Okay, this is a fresh start," right? Like like Peter Chiarelli's out, Todd McClellan's out, Ken Hitchcock. Like this is the new regime, the Ken Holland regime. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm just gonna like. Like, let's see what happens. And I, I do think that Pugliarvi should be in the NHL at this point. Like, I don't think at this point you can send him back to the American Hockey League. But to your point, and you brought this up back in July when, you know, before we took our break, you said, you know, maybe the best thing is for him to go to Finland and, you know, get his confidence back up. And then maybe he comes back to North America and, you know, he's able to continue his NHL career. But, you know, back to your original question. No, I don't have any problem with what Dreisaitl said because... Clearly, Pugliarvi doesn't want to play for the Oilers, but uh, you know, hopefully he's able to get it back on track and you know, he'll be back in the NHL sooner rather than later. That's it for the Saturday edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show here on TSN Radio 1290. We're back to three hours starting next Saturday, and presumably Dave Manuk will be back in studio with us as well. Where is that guy? I don't know. Big thank you to Scott Billick, Mike McKenna, and Sarah McClellan for joining us on the program this morning. In case you missed any of the show, it's available for download on tsn1290.ca. It's available everywhere you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, let us know what you think of the program. Big thanks to our sponsors, Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Bernstein's Deli, and Zappia Group Realty. Support these fine local businesses because they support Illegal Curve Hockey. For producer Sean Asor doing a great job behind the board, for Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel. If it's Saturday, it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, live on TSN Radio, 1290. 
This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The podcast on TSN1290.ca.